Yo, Pete! Hey! How you doing? Doing fine. What's it, should we take some time at the beginning of this and just get to know you as a person? Uh, yeah, for sure. Shut the fuck up. We gotta start Trek! the intro for this one. I, guess. I, I, I understand that yeah, good uh, good you actually don't want to know anything about me i know i i know too much of anything i have a lot of data i mean information I, you, oh, well sort of lore i'm, for I'm keeping it I'm, I'm keeping it as data um <laughs> in small discs that i hide around my house but yeah i'm Aaron armstrong that's pete moran uh we're a spin-off show of we love to watch same hosts same vibe same energy, uh, but instead of talking about movies, we're ta- we're introducing Peter to Star Trek from Aaron, a lifelong Star Trek fan, and we're completing this month. We decided to devote a whole month to kind of getting through some major Next Generation stuff while we take a break, and we return with some other stuff. Is this the journey's end? No. That's a season, season seven episode that we aren't covering. Is this the journey's end for the saga of Star Trek? No. That's a behind-the-scenes documentary that came out right before the All Good Things episode. Mm-hmm. Is this the journey's end of this show? No. We're just – like I said, we're just doing Star Trek Next Generation and take a little break. And when we come back, we'll do the Abrams movies and some other extra stuff. So, Is this journey's end a podcast episode about a murder woman named Journey? No. No. If you want to hear about a murdered woman named Journey, look elsewhere. Why would you want to hear about that? I would hope no one named Journey's been murdered. That doesn't. That feels like low odds. I don't. I How many I people are named Journey? I hope Journey's dies of old age. Yeah, I hope all Journeys die of old age. Uh, but we're we're this might be a little bit of a shorter one. We're we're kind of. We're, we're actually not at the end of Star Trek The Next Generation. Even in the next episode that we'll have after this, whenever it ends up airing, we're going to be doing Star Trek ne- Next Generation episodes to prep you for the Abrams movie because that actually ties into this universe in some very specific ways and it'll have some context that you weren't aware of. So we're, we're not saying goodbye to The Next Generation, but we're these are we, – we finished a two-part series of my – favorite episodes and we're ending with the season finale the series finale all good things and when we started the next generation movies my my thing to you peter was we got to get through the movies two of them are okay they don't hit the heights of the best episodes of the show two of them are terrible but and nemesis as a send-off to the next generation is like specifically terrible, especially coming off what I think is one of the best series finales of all times and just a wonderful send-off to to the next generation. So I would include this among my favorite episodes. I usually it's it's my go-to answer when someone says what's what's the series finale that's also the best episode of the series. I don't know if it's the best episode. There's a lot of good episodes. But I love this episode and it felt like this is a good time to cover this, this 90-minute two-part or two-hour uh, finale, and then reflect a little on your overall journey with Next Generation now having seen the movies, but also what I think some of the best representations of what the show can be at its at its best. So we're going to get into all good things in a second. Um, Peter, why don't we start at the end 
and talk a little bit about you. You've now you've seen in the movies. You've seen about probably like twenty five episodes of the show, mostly good ones. We haven't really got to the the bad ones. So you're, you're kind of your your probably baseline average episode is higher than. But one thing that I have found personally, I've been doing this little thing where I try to go back to, to Star Trek and Star Trek Next Generation, watch all the episodes I missed. There ended up being like 30 of the Next Generation that I hadn't seen or maybe like 25 or something like that, which is – I mean, which feels like a, a, a lot but also feels like a small amount against 180 episodes or whatever else it is. And I found that you know most of them I didn't end up watching were because they weren't well regarded or you know people didn't write good reviews out of them and I didn't waste precious, precious blank VHS space to record them uh, when I was trying to watch all of them. And what I found going back to all those is that I just love the crew so much and the writing so much that there's not an episode that I've been like, oof, that was rough to get through. Like, I've, I've enjoyed even some what I think on paper are stinkers just because I might not return to those episodes, some of those episodes ever. But I just really, like, love this show. If I was doing, like, a top ten favorite television shows of all time, I'd be hard-pressed not to find a place for the next generation on it. Um, so... It, it, this has been really fun revisiting, rewatching some of my favorite episodes that I saw 50 times 20 years ago, but maybe haven't revisited in a while. Peter, now that you've seen uh, a good chunk of what I would consider the best next generation, the best the best next generation, you know how the series begins, you know how it ends. Where are you at just as a uh, like a full appreciator or detractor of the next generation? Uh <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I was pretty sad to kind of reach the end, even knowing that I have 130 episodes or whatever left to see. Um, Because um, the the emotional impact of, like, kind of getting to this point was still pretty strong, Uh, even though um, I... Even though we just watched an episode that has a similar plot line to this, like we just watched, or, you know, like at least story structure, we yeah. kind of had to race through Q episodes. Q didn't have yeah. a chance to kind of disappear and then be a shock reveal. Yeah. I did I did not watch this over the course of seven years, though I yeah. did watch almost over the course of three years, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you watched Encounter of Farpoint two or three years ago. So, like, yeah. at least at least from that perspective, like, this kind of, like, bookends that this series does really well. And a series that isn't heavy on continuity, um, ha- you know, it, you, you had some space to it, which, which might have had some more impact. For what it's worth, I mean, I actually saw All Good Things first. I, I saw All Good Things when it first aired. I didn't go back and realize its connection to Encounter at Farpoint – until maybe like two or three years later. So yeah. there's just yeah. when you watch that many episodes, you're like, you probably saw um a time jumping scenario uh a du- yeah. dozen times. I knew who Q probably, was, but I didn't watch it. I mean, episodes that took place in a courtroom. Yeah. I mean uh, I was four when the pilot aired and I didn't watch it. My dad watched it, but I didn't watch mm-hmm. it then. And I was, you know, eleven when the finale aired and I watched it with my dad. And at that point I was watching it somewhat regularly with my dad in the final uh couple seasons. So yeah, I didn't until I started like they started airing reruns and I started getting especially obsessive around this time that I and I finally, you know, got recorded in Counter Farpoint. I'm like, holy shit, it was a callback to the pilot. That's that's so cool, you know. But it is I, very so, cool as, yeah. as as bookends and sort of yeah. this open this open ended challenge from Q kind of continued because, like, ultimately, what a 
attached me to the show was this sort of philosophical approach um, to mutual respect and understanding. And when that, you know, uh, that leads to diplomacy and when diplomacy fails, like trying to find a clever way to mitigate collateral damage, right? Like everything is very uh, humanist in a general sense or species uh, uh, sentient beingist um, in a a general sense. Um, The finale did hit me, even though operating under a few different constraints. So a few things were holding me back. One, obviously we've watched a bunch of sort of timey-wimey, um, let's all let's yeah. align some timelines or let's travel through different like modes in, yeah. in life kind of episodes in a way that like I didn't really have space to breathe in between. Um, yeah. Which is not your fault. It's just sort of like a natural sort of thing that happened because we were racing through some episodes. Yeah. Two, I imagine the emotional impact of these things is very different when you land as a Star Trek fan in the 90s or early 2000s when there's not much happening and even the promise of what's going to happen is like essentially a reboot, um, right? Or some bad movies. Well, I mean, so I don't think I, so Generations, so this airs in May of 94. Yeah. Um, and the at that point, everyone knew that the movie Star Trek Generations with Shatner and Patrick Stewart was coming out in November of that year. So there, there was a at the very least like more is coming. It was one of those. Everyone knew the movie was coming out when this when this aired. Got it. Got um, it. So, so, it, so maybe and I, also and 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 Deep Space Nine was about to start its third season. And I think, I think Voyager may have premiered the year after this. Like I think they may have said. Because I think, no, Voyager was 95. So I think you, if you were a Star Trek fan, you knew two things. One, obviously, DS9 is beginning its third season that fall. You know Generations is coming out, and you knew there's a new Star Trek show that's going to launch the UPN network called Star Trek Voyager that's coming in January of 1995. Yeah, so maybe maybe I was in more of a similar position than I, than I thought, um, just yeah. timing-wise. Um, I, I mean, this, 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 this show, like... This episode specifically got like something like 30 or 40 million viewers, like some insane number for syndication. It was nominated for an Emmy. I mean, this is kind of, I think, what you would call like the Star Trek had like obviously a lot of before it kind of got to Enterprise and people stopped being interested in the movies. But this is really where Star Trek Next Generation is going out out on like one the highest rate season it was in the nielsen top 25 again insane for a syndicated show gets nominated for an enemy for best drama series the movie's coming out like this is uh 94 they're they're so confident with how successful star trek is that they're literally launching the paramount network upn with star trek voyager in 1995 so this is a this is a pretty big good time to be a, a star trek fan even if you know next generation which is kind of what renewed everyone's interest in star trek as a television series anyway is, is ending yeah and then the the kind of third thing i would say you know first off concept so for recap first off kind of conceptually like redundant of some other episodes though i think mm-hmm. better done than that um because the we did or the episode did have impact to me um and then the second one is that I'm kind of operating in this weird space where I was watching Paramount and I was watching Detroiters and yep. then they started showing me ads for Picard. Yep. And I was like, this really, 
this really takes some of the wind out of the sails of the finale. Even, you know, what, whether Picard is a complete wash or it's actually, like, worth watching, I, I don't totally know. It sounds like reviews yeah. are pretty middling. Um, yeah. I'd say mixed, maybe. I think the first two seasons is, like, the characters are great, the plot's bad, and people are pretty, I would say, high on the third season. Okay. So, uh, Aaron and I are going to first time watch that together later yeah. at some point. Um, but... It's very weird to watch a show where you're saying goodbye to a character and they're already doing, like, the fucking Lego sequel <laughs> like, on the same app. And you're like, oh, okay, I don't actually have any space to say goodbye and, and, and lament. I imagine it's similar to, and not, not totally similar to, but, like, if you're watching Justified now for the first time. Yeah. And they're, I think they're, they've either cut or just going to put out, are about to put out trailers for the sequel series to Justified. Like, uh, I didn't even know that was happening. So yeah. So they're doing a sequel series to Justify. It takes place in Detroit, I believe. And it's going to be like a mini series kind of deal. I think it's only going to be like a season or two. Um, and I think Quentin Tarantino is directing an episode or two. Oh, um, that's interesting. But because he's a huge Justify fan. Um, that tracks. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge Justify fan. And when I watched I, that I show that. live. Yeah, I um, did too. Yep. I had that moment where I could say goodbye to Raylan Givens. Yeah. And... I could kind of step back and be like, that's the end of his story. But mm -hmm. it kind of takes some of the wind out of the sails when you're watching uh, you're yeah. watching the final episode and you're like, oh, I actually get to see him as an old man whenever I want. <laughs> I, I've got like 25 hours or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, um, that is it is weird. I, I, I think, though, like so. So, obviously, I think you could make a case like Generations would have been an okay send-off to this cast, right? Um, I like the idea the Enterprise is done, everyone's still together, and they kind of, you know, it's all about how, like, time marches on and accepting that. Like, I don't think it's as good as All Good Things as a story, but I think I, Generations is my favorite of the Next Generation movies. I think it's a fine send-off. I think First Contact is, like, a, f a fun action time travel movie that, like – Makes no sense as a send off, and obviously the next two movies are bad. So I don't know what the ending of Picard is going to look like. I don't think it's aired when we're recording this, so I don't think anyone knows yet because they're doing a, a weekly series on that one. But I will say that, like, whatever it is, it's going to be really hard to top this as like both an encapsulation of the last seven years. To your point, kind of setting up the idea that like you know the 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 journey never ends the trek never ends and it's not just about you know charting new planets but about growing as 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 people and then also like this great recognition of how far these characters have come you know we've talked a lot about how the Next Generation is truly a character-based show, and it's not just based on one person. It's not mm -hmm. Kirk as the lead, Spock and McCoy as the two secondary leads. It really is about this ensemble show. And yeah, you know, the captain always is going to be slightly more present than everyone else because he's the captain. They came up with more interesting data stories than they did for Troy. So, like, data has better episodes and everything like that. But, like, it really is this good mixture of talent. And I think the way this is able to kind of show that growth uh, in a crew that wasn't all that friendly with each other when we first meet them. And in some cases, like, butting heads and everything else in this very subtle way while also noting that, like, relationships are fragile things that even – that like um, 
even with the seven years that we've seen them grow and become this close-knit group of individuals who trust and respect each other, that like that's not a permanent bond unless that kind of care to maintain those relationships like continues. And I like I really love all that stuff, as well as it's a, like a fun plot twisty episode that actually finally like brings menace back to to Q while still recognizing that Q's grown too. He's not just all menace. The Q continuum is still generally full of menace. Um but that Q himself has kind of grown in the seven years since we first saw him. So I think it's a His fantastic year was actually perhaps uh, an act of, of kindness or mercy yeah. um, for a species that he showed absolutely no, no mercy to in the, in the premiere episode. Yeah. So we'll get to more of all good things. I'm glad you ended up liking it. I mean, can we pause it really quickly? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I am just putting the pieces together. So I keep coming back to a central theme, which is that William Shatner needs to go, go away from the series. Yeah. <laughs> so we said goodbye to Picard. Mm-hmm. With a sense of finality. Yeah. But there'll be more movies and stuff, but that's just yeah. going to be continuing adventures. Like, he has, yeah. his character arc is complete um, as as a man. Right? Uh, in generations, I would say it is. Yeah. So, but, okay. So, but I mean, just watching the episode, like, you're getting a sense of, like, completion as a, as a, a yeah. captain. Like, he's grown so much since the beginning. Yeah. 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 This is a great ending point. Yeah. Um, and then there's generations, which I, I like. Shatner, they they couldn't let go of Shatner mm-hmm. until after they had already said goodbye to Picard. <laughs> this is yeah. way funnier to me. Well, <laughs> as a lot of the Shatner couldn't say goodbye to Shatner. We've talked about this, but you may you may not remember because it's been a few years ago. Shatner wanted to come back in movie number eight, and mm-hmm. he wrote a whole pitch to how to bring his character back, which is the Borg find him. And resurrect him and turn him into the Borg. And Picard and goes and gets Spock and they team up to save Captain Kirk from the Borg. And and Paramount said, no, thank you. Like, we I are, mean the thing we, we already did with Picard also? He's like, we're ready to move on. And so he turned that pitch that he gave to Paramount into a book called The Return. Um, Not non-canon. Um, all, all the Star Trek next generation, all the Star Trek books, unlike where Star Wars how for a while there, like they had the EU that was like canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think even now the Star Wars, like they wiped away the EU, but like the books they write now are technically part of the canon, I believe. And I think some of the video games are now canon too. I don't know. If yeah, like they, they've kind of, yeah, like they've, they've said, hey, all this old stuff is in canon, but we are going to continue to do like a expanded universe within the canon. The Star Trek books have never been canon. Like, um, and so that's been, been pretty consistent. I almost, uh, yeah, I was thinking like, man, should we do a thing where this could be a later episode where we read one of the Star Trek novels that I read as a kid? Because honestly, that is such a huge part of my Star Trek fandom too. My parents were very limiting with TV, but I could go, I literally would go to the library, check out 15 book maximums, all Star Trek novels and read them all. Like I read so many of them. Um, that like at some point that should be an episode. Although honestly, the problem is is that like I remember liking them all. Yeah. Well, for the most part, I would have no idea what to like. 
recommend. <laughs> I feel like that'd be a fun project that like at yeah. once every couple months we would read a um, novelization of that from when we were kids. So like yeah. when I was uh, back home, because um, it's funny that you got into reading, it sounds like, like from reading this stuff, right? Like... I mean, this is I, I always reading I, I always liked reading, but this is when I was like, this was my way to like watch Star Trek, okay. like because I mean I was basically going and getting the books, yeah. So I wasn't much of a reader, and then I found a few authors that I liked, like Gary Paulson and and such. But um, yeah, and who doesn't then, love the Far Side? <laughs> mostly because i i had add and it was hard for me to sit yeah. down and then i didn't come up with that skill till later and then i became a voracious reader um, yeah. for much of my life and then um when i was uh, i was home i found about half of the old video game adaptation novelizations that <laughs> i used to read as a kid <laughs> um funny. and i unfortunately cannot find the resident evil ones i remember the uh resident evil ones being great um I think they were by a guy named, I think, S.D. Perry. The fact that I even came up with a name probably means that's 100% true. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I found my StarCraft uh, novelizations. Yeah. And for a period of time, I, like, wouldn't read anything unless I basically – it had some connection to something else that I – some other media. Form. Yeah. I mean, that I, – I had a friend that him and I would go and um, – what's the right word for this? Steal books from Barnes mm-hmm. & Noble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and we would both steal. We didn't have jobs. We were like in seventh or eighth grade, and uh, we would uh, both. But we would pick out the same book so that we could read them together, and then like catch up and stuff like that. So like sci-fi books and stuff like that. Um, I don't feel proud about the stealing part, but I mean, we from Barnes and Noble, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for the absolution, Father. Now you have thousands um, of books that you'll never read. I've spent so much money at Barnes and Noble now. I mean, I I feel like I've paid them back. Many, and these like $7 paperbacks or whatever. But some of them I remember being really good. But we'd also read like – I mean it was a ton of sci-fi. I read like Robert Heinlein. Um, uh, uh, Dave, I think his name was David Niven, the guy that wrote, like wrote the – it wasn't David Niven. Larry <laughs> David Niven, Niven sounds familiar. I think Larry uh, – it's the guy that wrote The Postman, like which was a book that I really loved that they made that Kevin Costner movie out of. Mm-hmm. Like the famously terrible. He also wrote a book, I think, called Future Imper. Like, so I, we were reading all these like sci-fi novels, like two thousand one and stuff like that. There, I mean, there was probably a stretch where I was reading just constantly, and it was a combination of like, oh, you know what else I read a ton of? This Mikey cut out. Uh, Harry Turtledove was his name. He wrote alternate uh, history novels, some like so World War Two, but aliens came. Um, or um, or there, this is true. There's a book called The Guns of the South that was actually pretty popular at the time. I think like 90, 90, whatever. And it was about what if people went back in time and gave the Confederacy AK-47. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah. I remember this because this was another pathway to, that they tried to get us to read and, and engage with history was – these crazy alternate, alternate history, history yeah. books. I, I read all – I mean I read all – written by cranks. I mean Harry Turtle – I mean I went through those books like – Crazily, I mean, there's only so many alternate history things that you can do. Like they're all like, they're all World War II and the Civil War too. Right? I, it is. It's a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he wrote then another version of the Civil War, and then he had a series based on that. He also co-wrote a book 
with Richard Dreyfus mm-hmm. about if the uh, British won uh, the Revolutionary War and then like America in the 1950s or something. Like, that. <laughs> like there's no no one's invented airplanes. They're still traveling by blimp. Like it's 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 a lot of that stuff. But I, I mean, I I read I read all the Blade Runner. Uh, you know, there's Blade Runner sequels. I read Blade Runner, like an actual good book, and then the Blade Runner sequels. I read this when I was reading Dune. So I mean, I was like, all I was reading was was science fiction stuff at the time. Yeah. And then, did you read Man in the High Castle? No, um, that's but I alternate history. Alternate history by. I know that's actually one that I've actually thought about going back and reading. I can't believe I missed that one. Um, uh, I've got it. I've got it around here somewhere. But uh, what's funny is, I mean, there was a time where, like, you know, where they were actually, like, not releasing the Star Wars EU books all that often. And I was, like, caught up. Like, those first four years of the Star Wars EU, I had read every single possible book. Like, even when they started doing the Rogue Squadron stuff. So, I mean, that's that's where I was, like, junior high, like, probably fifth to ninth grade. Um I was uh, I was just reading constantly. And I was Star not, Wars were a big part of that. I read some Star Wars books. I was not huge into them because my reading phase aligned with a more like Attack of the Clones era when yeah. not the extended universe stuff got really weird and, and stupid. And then also, um, at least my memory of the timeline. Um, also, I started to read around when i started to turn on star wars <laughs> yeah. so i read a couple of thrawn books that were great um and yeah. then i read a, i read one or two that were about like the continuing adventures of anakin and, and ben kenobi and be and yeah. i remember it being really shitty yeah that i mean that sounds terrible i mean it was still all like this is officially sanctioned what happens after the i mean it was even pre the the prequels like they, they didn't go back because they were like we can't touch the prequels he's still making those or like at that time you know george lucas but he was like anything after like the stories had to be approved by him like so that yes all this happens and had to connect and it was it was exciting but anyways really quickly hold on one really quickly what you've just shown me, in case this actually makes it to air, appears to be an adaptation of the video game Doom 2. Which I imagine the text in that's got to be, like, pretty light. <laughs> it's a quick read. Um, like, I, I've played some of Doom 2. I imagine you could write some good fiction, but if they're going off the canon of that game, that feels very light. That was one that my brother handed down to me that he read when he was, you know, whatever you, the age you until were he discovered about. ska. Until he discovered ska, he chose uh, the a different dark side. Um, I, however, uh, the StarCraft novels, the Halo novels, the oh, the brute force novelization. You know, you know, the only video game novelizations I've been tempted to read as an adult, and the only reason I haven't is because they've gotten such terrible reviews even from people that want that like were seem like they're like well i thought it'd be kind of cool because there's a lot of things to delve into but I, I literally even recently which should be a big clue to you i've been like should i go find those novels and, and read them dead space dead space yes i watched the dead space um the animated movie the animated movie it sucked so bad yeah i mean some even people that are glutton for novelization punishments or whatever have said the the 
Death Space books are fucking terrible. I've read online, <laughs> um, and Holy, so, but but that actually, like I found the I found the Resident Evil ones that I read by S. D. Perry. Sorry, go the, on. I mean, the Death Space Resident Evil too. Like those seems like you could make a good story within that world. I would imagine you can make a better story than the games do because the game stories are just like kind of warmed over. Well, I mean, even the, even, even the next generation stuff, like, I mean, everyone knows Peter David, Peter David wrote like some of the best Star Trek next generation. Like I, I knew like, Oh, Peter David wrote this one. That was good. And then like, it was weird to be like, oh, well, how does everyone else know who Peter David and Kevin Anderson is? Oh, from comics. I didn't, you know, I didn't read comics. Everyone knows these people are from comics. I know them from their Star Wars and Star Trek novels that they wrote. <laughs> um, uh, um, yeah. Oh, and, right. uh, in case any of this does stay in, S.D. Perry did write um, the uh, Resident Evil books starting in 1998. Oh, look. Yep. This person did write Star Trek books. You're, I'm like, I bet this person wrote a Star Trek books. But they wrote Deep Space Nine books, which I did not read because I didn't watch Deep Space Nine until I was in college uh, and had a chance to get the whole series in like bootleg, bootleg edition from China or something and like off of eBay because I that that was a show I knew I kind of had to watch from beginning to end and that was uh, challenging to do and I didn't want to spend a hundred dollars per DVD season. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, it, it is crazy. Like I, while we're talking about it, it's just fucking nuts. How as soon as how much work you had to go through, and how as uh, all good things was ending, they immediately were starting up. Um, they were let's like, see if we got this in ten seconds. We're starting Viger, yeah, or Voyager. I, I, it's, it's funny that it skipped DS9 too. It's like, wait, why would you skip this? Once again, DS9 erasure, it did the same thing for me. I do have the Blu rays, but I was watching them upstairs on Paramount Plus um, as well. So they did the exact same thing to me. Um, but so, Peter, before we get into all good things and wrap up the coverage there, um, what do you, where, you know, when we ended Star Trek 6 and TOS, you were like hungry for more. I'm getting the sense that you're still feeling that way. You're talking about other episodes that you want to watch. You're talking about you and I have to watch Picard together. Like, I still feel like there's a high level excitement for this project, which has only gotten more and more content since we started doing this. Like four or five years ago, I don't even I think Discovery had just come out. Uh, when we started doing this, and since then they have done four seasons of Discovery. It's ending with his fifth. Three seasons of Picard, three seasons of Lower Deck, and a season of Strange New Worlds, which is supposed to be amazing too. So, very funny how much Star Trek has happened since we started doing this as well. Yeah, to a way, to a degree, that's kind of funny because like I did not realize that when we started this experiment that we would never catch up. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm I mean, not. I, I knew we would never cover every episode, right? That was not the yeah. goal. But like, okay, we will catch up on all the movies. Almost done, right? Yeah. Um, Three maybe left. they'll make another one, like right after we finish. Yeah. Uh, doesn't sound like it's moving forward very quickly at the current point, in March of uh, 2023. But yeah. um, but who knows? But who knows? However, the shows seem to be chugging along. It's they seem to be once they kind of smushed CBS All Access into, into Paramount, Paramount and yeah. got some of the rights kind of centralized. Paramount Plus seems to have most of the stuff that I know about. Um, yeah, I mean, and you know, Star Trek Discovery kind of took a sw- switch. 
Um, I know I, I liked I liked all of it, but I, I agree that season three is really good, and I've heard season four is even better. I've watched the first two seasons of Lower Decks, and I love it. I've heard Strange New Worlds is like the best Trek show since DS9 or Next Generation. I'm very excited to watch it. Um, it's also one you can kind of uh, – because it happens before TOS mm-hmm. um, um, because there's a pilot episode of Star Trek TOS that's not with Shatner. Christopher Pike was the captain. Spock was there. And then they did another pilot, but they brought that back into the canon through this two-part episodes in the original series with – showing what happens to Christopher Pike, what happened to the former um, captain, the Enterprise, and they sh- essentially repurposed the pilot as, yeah. as memories. <laughs> That's yeah, clever. I, That's yeah, clever. I mean, that happened in the first season of Star Trek. So, like, Captain Pike and Spock being part of the Enterprise before Captain Kirk has always been part of the canon from literally the first season of Star Trek. Um, and so they're doing – uh, he, Captain Pike, uh, played by a different actor, showed up on the first two seasons of Discovery as a different actor playing Spock um, because the first two seasons of Discovery take place before um, TOS as well. And now they're just doing Strange New Worlds, which is the Enterprise with Captain Pike. And it's supposedly like fantastic. I've been really excited to see it. It also says that they did the scariest episode of Star Trek on that ever where they did like this alien riff that's supposed to be amazing so I, i'm really psyched to get into that but yeah i mean again that's you, you kind of have it's, it's insane that they you know to get the first four star trek series goes from 1967 and then to to like you know whatever 1995 and since we've started recording these episodes they've done four star trek series <laughs> Yeah, we haven't even. I've still never seen an episode of DS Nine, so or Voyager, uh, we, we, we or gotta Enterprise. Get, we'll we'll get there. But we gotta get where where, where are you at with your like appetite right now, knowing that we're taking another break? I'm Who knows how long? DS Nine only. Um, okay. Right now, I'm only hungry for DS Nine. Um, okay. Because everything I've been hearing and like the. The over the overplot about these like face shifting kind of aliens sounds cool as fuck. Like uh, having <clears throat> just getting to shuffle the cast a little bit and getting Worf in there. I yeah. want to be entertained and offended by the Ferengi. I'm ready for it all. Yeah. So you're you're kind of done. You're fine taking a break from Next Generation. You're not that excited to go into the Abrams movies where you're. No, you're, I'm no. not. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just, I also, I just, re, I just, you reminded me last week of, um, you reminded me last week of what's the shit, um, that in the Abrams movie, it's like a Romulan going back in time to take revenge on the crew. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, this just sounds sweaty, man. Like. I appreciate I mean, you doing something for fans. It's actually it sweaty. I, I'm actually so here. My take is that I think having seen, I think Star Trek Into Darkness is going to be worse for you. I think 2009 is going to be better for you. I think when you see the two parter in Next Generation that kind of leads to the alternate timeline created, like you may think it's sweaty, but I actually think it's a pretty ingenious way to do a reboot. Uh, I'm I'm pretty positive on that movie, um, and I. Th- think you're gonna love beyond which you haven't seen which is easily the best of the reboot movies like beyond is fantastic um so i i think you're gonna have fun there and we have a few other episodes to do um but it's interesting to note 
that DS9 is where you're most hungry for and also has the biggest barrier to entry. I don't know how to get you into DS9 without just saying we have to start watching the show, which will take a very long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of ready. This is also for DS9, we can sort of... Um, break format a little bit i think next time like we can watch a bunch of episodes and then we can talk about this overall arc as opposed to yeah. breaking it into individual episodes yeah I, you know the other thing is that the first two seasons of ds9 are definitely hit and miss i bet i can find something online that says like what is the or and combined with my memory of like what are the essential episodes of the first two seasons and then really kind of hit the ground running with season three uh, which gets better and better as the show goes along. So, I mean, there's definitely opportunities that we could have to do that. Um, I do want to get through the last few movies first. Uh, I am excited to have you see Beyond, but we did a lot of Star Trek. I made you watch like, you know, 18 episodes and, and one really bad movie. So, um, we're going <laughs> to, we are going to take a little break, uh, from this. But before we take that break, Peter, are you ready to talk more about all good things and how they, point of fact must come to an end let's do it uh peter so let's let's start going through we're just going to go through like we would a movie interrupt interject starts with picard it actually starts with Troy and Worf. Glad I showed you parallels because you might be like, wait a second. They fucking? What's going on between Troy and Worf? But they're, they're about to kiss. And Picard runs out in his robe and goes, what's today's date? And everyone's like, star, star date 47988. He's like, 47988. Um, again, I've watched this episode quite a bit. Um, so, And he's like, uh, he, he says he's moving back and forth in time. Um, it cuts to him kind of describing that, like, I, you know, we, we haven't seen any of these transformations yet, but we, he's describing it to Troy and saying that he has these, like, memories that are, like, fading away like a dream would, but felt more real at the time of him as an old man in the future. Um, in, in France and then, uh, before encounter at Farpoint, right as he started to about to take command of the enterprise. And all of a sudden, as he's describing this, he's, we see him transported to, uh, as an old man, he has a beard, he, Patrick Stewart's acting old. Um, and he, um, uh, is, is tending great fields in France. And all of a sudden, uh, Jordy, Walks up, also gray hair, visor gone, which you saw in the movies later on, but obviously hadn't happened yet on the show uh, or in the canon. And, you know, they, they start doing some kind of standard plot filling things like, how long has it been since we've all been on the Enterprise? And they're like 25 years. And uh, Jordy's there to visit him because he has something called Ernemonic Syndrome, which is kind of like a space Alzheimer's, it seems like, where things start to go and he has trouble forming memories and stuff like that. I Presumably it's because they've, A, didn't want to make a light of Alzheimer's and also that they probably cured all Alzheimer's like they've cured a lot of disease. But it's a, essentially a genetic disorder that starts showing signs since age and so Jordy's just there because he notes that, you know, theoretically in this future that 
Picard's not doing so well. Flashback, he opens his eyes. Now he's in the old season one, season two uh, uniforms. And he's in a shuttlecraft with Tasha Yar, who died in the first season that you've mm-hmm. seen in a couple a couple occasions. Um, and they are approaching the Enterprise. So kind of, you know, you would describe it um, almost a scene that – a couple scenes that have happened right before the pilot of uh, Encounter at Farpoint that presumably happened but that we never saw as Star Trek watchers of him approaching the Enterprise in space dock, him being a little bit confused. Uh, and then he flashes back to the president and starts kind of talking through um, – Oh, this just happened to me again. This is more – it was a little more real. I can remember more things and stuff like that. So this is really going to be the the format and eventually it gets to the point where he is essentially as he moves back and forth to time, can seemingly do so at will and also remembers everything immediately to the point that he's essentially giving other versions of himself orders, right? Like to, to go tell this person to do this and sort of coordinating um, – the time zones. Additionally, what starts happening in both these time periods is like these, I don't know, these people in kind of rags who are shouting and screaming at him that only he can see. And he's not sure what the connection is. Kind of, they appear in and out. He doesn't know what's going on there. So you kind of have like, especially the first half of this episode is really kind of that puzzle episode. You're kind of seeing, which is again, great for a finale. You're seeing life after the Enterprise. Life after the Enterprise, not so great. You know, while Jordy's still on talking bases with Patrick Stewart and Data is the chair at Cambridge, the science chair at Cambridge, right? And it presumably has emotions now. Um, he uh, – they are still getting along but you – because you start to get the sense that there's been a drifting apart that has happened. Um, but he – Picard shares – the future version of himself shares the time-shifting – going on and Jordy's like, all right, well, one more mission to figure out what's happening. They go visit Data, who's the chair at Cambridge, um, and they start, you know, kind of saying, well, could this be happening? Could this not be happening? In the present, um, they're investigating – just got sent on a mission to investigate a um, a spatial anomaly in the Devron system, which is in the neutral zone. So they go to the border to investigate. Romulans are also sending a bunch of ships to their part of the border because it's a bizarre spatial phenomenon. And in one of the things that's interesting about that is obviously in both the future version and the present version, he's telling everyone what's going on. He's saying, I'm moving back and forth through time. I'm not sure why. Here's what we need to investigate in the present they kind of scan his brain and say, hey, we didn't find traces of ernemonic syndrome, but we did see the actual like genetic predisposition for that potentially occurring later on. So you could develop it. And Beverly's very worried about that happening. And Picard's still kind of maintaining this, well, we don't know what's going to happen. And Beverly's like, well, it seems like you do know what's going to happen because you're living a future life of yourself. Whereas the past version, the seven years ago version – He's not talking to anyone about this. One, because he notes that he doesn't want to change the past, um, but also because he doesn't have any friends there. He is the kind of scary commander that's coming over the Stargazer. Troy's there. Uh, Worf's there. Tasha Yar's there. He's getting very confused about who do, does what. He you know, asked Worf to do security stuff and Tasha's like, am I being replaced? And he – uh, the crew is really having a trouble understanding what some of his orders are. At one point, he gets called in the past version of himself to go investigate a spatial anomaly in the neutral zone and not go to Farpoint Station. 
Uh, and that's when he realizes there's something going on there. But he says, no, we're not going to change course. We're going to keep going to Farpoint. Um, and uh, when he flashes back to the present, he tells – he asks people, like, do you remember us getting called to the Devron system and me saying, no, we're not going there and having – and no one remembers it. So he's realizing – or Data kind of notes there's clearly discontinuity between the timelines, right? Like these are things that happen, but the changes are not impacting us. We're not remembering any of these other things that happen. So in some ways, there might be – you know, parallel times, something that's going on there that's that's kind of hard to to put a put a, a, a button on. Um, so Picard in the future is like, well, there's clearly something going on in the Devron system. Let's go. So they try to get uh, uh, Worf, who's an ambassador, was on the High Council, is now a governor. Initially, to do it, they try to get Riker, who's the admiral of the Enterprise D, which is still around in this time zone. Obviously, we know it gets destroyed later on. Um, but, uh, he says, he says no. And he calls on an old friend to send uh, medical that they think they'll get through because they have medical supplies. And that's, uh, Captain Picard, who's actually Beverly Crusher, who they got married, they got divorced. They're letting him on. And it's this kind of like one more mission to take. If Captain Picard wants one more mission, we'll go, we'll go do it. Uh, they arrive – the future version of themselves arrive in the Devron system to find that there is no anomaly whatsoever. So there's anomaly that's huge in the past. Oh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Pretty big in the future because they eventually uh, agree with the Romulans that they can each send a ship. We find out why Picard hasn't been going in the past to the Devron system, which is because he – has been suspecting that some of this might have to do with Q. But he, in a very clever move, and again, one that kind of confused me um, as an audience member who hadn't seen the pilot, he all of a sudden goes, hey, we're at the spot that that Q net originally took over the Enterprise. Um, Q has to be here. And he starts shouting on the bridge like, "This, whatever this is has gone on far enough, Q. Um, reveal yourself funny scene with Tasha and Worf where he walks off the, the bridge and Tasha's like, what's a Q? Or uh, Worf's like, what's a Q? And Tasha's like, it's a letter of the alphabet as far as I know. Um, but as Picard walks into his ready room, he is back in the trial in the, the courtroom uh, of the encounter at Farpoint with an audience member who's been the kind of ghostly figures that keep appearing, the rabble rousers of the genocides of the 21st century, which is how he modeled that courtroom and the judge outfit. And Q um, kind of materializes in his judge chairs and says, uh, I thought you'd never figure out that I was involved in this. And if you were watching – this after it aired as a two-hour movie, that's where you would see the to be continued part come up. So let's pause there, Peter, and go through like what your overall thoughts were about this part, what what you were thinking. I mean, they really do extend the mystery with Q not being an obvious show up for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And I was also pleasantly surprised to see in the um in the thumbnails they have on Paramount Plus that didn't have like a big fucking picture of Q in his red thing. So that – I presume it was somewhat of a surprise to see Q show up hmm. for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the anomaly – even if even if I had remembered the 
zone or whatever, like the the Devron or whatever. Like Devron, I I wouldn't have made I wouldn't have made the connection until I actually saw the face. Right? Oh no, Devron's system has nothing to do. Why he's saying he's continuing to Farpoint is because he. He want, he knows that on that mission they encounter Q before they get to Farpoint. Yeah, yeah. So um, my initial response is a boring old man response, which is that I wish that there was more downtime and sentimentality at the end, and I wish there was more downtime and sentimentality in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. um, they like uh, I understand why they have to like get away from this idyllic vineyard life really quickly, but I kind of yeah. want to know like what he's running away from like do i get the sense that he's like trying to get like is he running away from a beautiful life or is he bored as shit on this life like i i kind of want to get a sense a little bit more of a sense there and then at the end of the episode i it's very poetic and and small to have we'll we'll get there yeah we're we're at the halfway point we'll get to the end of the episode then in the episode it's very poetic and to have that that moment but my initial reaction to the episode is that while I think the overall plot is very, is a very good Star Trek episode, um, mm-hmm. I think it would add a greater emotional impact for me if there was a little bit more downtime. Because now that I've tasted family, yeah, I, I know what the show is capable of. Yeah, and I'm like, I want the show to do family, but with the broader crew yeah. and like on Earth and them and old man. Instead, it, it kind of, some of the sentimentality kind of gets swallowed up by plot, 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 plot. Um, yeah. The plot, the plot is really good. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously we talked about this when we watched Family, that Family was literally something that, like, people threatened to quit over and, like, it was a huge fight to get on the air. Like, the idea of doing a television episode, a syndicate television, like, mystery of the week, sci-fi concept of the week episode, that pause to reflect was kind of unheard of and also it scared people because it's like well who knows when these things are airing in syndication like if you tuned in and watched family you're gonna have no fucking idea what's going on who are these like you need a central hook was the was the idea back then to get everyone so i mean it's not i think that i think i understand what you're asking for and i get it but i also think given it to me before (laughs) yeah under some but it under some pretty rarefied circumstances, I think. Like, it's it's just – that's not how they made TV back then. They didn't have the let's have Tony Soprano wander around in his, like, coma dream for four episodes, right? Like, it – like, again, I don't disagree. You're, you know, you're coming into, like, having tasted a, a TV world that was more – is, A, not afraid of serialization, um, and B – uh, not afraid to like slow down and have an emotional like ending, but I, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> I don't think I, I, again, I'm, I'm not debating your feelings about that. I'm just noting that like TV just wasn't there to have that at the time. And I think this episode still does a good job of through plot contrivance, showing the growth of Picard as a captain. And I get your sentiment of the vineyard thing. Um, I do think, though, like, one thing that's important to note is that none of that happens, right? Like, there are some bits and pieces from that future version that we know happens, and there's some of it that we know doesn't happen. And I don't know what Picard ends up fulfilling, because Picard, I think, takes place five years before that, like, before that, whatever that time period would be. And we know 
Troy's not dead. We know, you know, Worf ended up going and doing a whole other thing. Like, there's just some some stuff of, of plot that we know doesn't happen. So I think, you know, how invested I need to be in something that ultimately, like, doesn't matter except to show how easy it is for characters that we love and have bonded over these years to grow apart. I, I mean, I think it does that well. I think the contrasting of we're not friends, we're best friends, we've grown apart is a really good way to like have a lot of character stakes within a big bombastic finale that's trying to hook you into the sci-fi plot too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I still, but I still find a, a much of that distracted. Like the plot is kind of distracting from the humanity there. And like ultimately, I'm not here to see whether Picard, Picard has proven himself to me tons of times, right? Like um i'm all make a lousy cue <laughs> and some of this is informed by the fact the order that we did this in right yeah. um some people when they design a show like this would probably do the movies in chronological order after this and the order that you went yeah. through and i kind of and i i think i agree with um and the way i would have done it as well yeah is to actually have a, the satisfying ending be the ending of the series uh, as, as, as our, our coverage, right? Like, give me some sort of arc to follow, and then we, when we get yeah. there, we can actually feel a, a sense of, of uh, closure, which Nemesis does, denies you fully, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, also, very weird. Like, so, the different timelines... Yeah. They're not going... The, the vineyard stuff that, the, the, you know, further down, 25 years down the line, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen that way. No. Uh, okay. Well, but also in Counter-Farpoint. The worst action version is that Data dies instead of going to to Cambridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Data had a better ending in there. Well, also, like, you know, the idea of, like, the Enterprise D surviving. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't have... There, I mean, also the version that we see in Counter Farpoint from this didn't happen. I mean, even our present characters don't remember anything. I think I think the one thing that is somewhat challenging about this is like a finale is that it's a finale that only happens to one character. Like even though we're seeing portions of them, like and again, I'm not a con like I don't, I don't care from a continuity standpoint. I think the way they tie that into, but like if you're Riker. Your version of the finale is that Picard tells you a story about how he was moving through time and and also Riker becomes a jerk uh, and doesn't handle Worf dating Troy well. And then like that's that's it for Riker. Just Picard oh, tells him a story and he boss, thinks about things. Your boss starts showing up to poker night. <laughs> yeah, really ruins it for everyone. <laughs> I, so, I mean, because even the people in the present have no memory of any of this ever happening. But – We'll continue with plot and we'll circle back to some moments and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, you find out that Picard's like, why am I back here? I thought we won the trial seven years ago. And some very good menacing Q stuff. He's like, well, the trial never ended. We never reached a verdict. But now we have. You're guilty. And we're going to deny you existence. Uh, you know, not not the ability to go through the cosmos, but that essentially your species will have never existed. They'll be wiped out. And Picard is angry that Q would dare do something and – Q is like, oh, I, I didn't do it. You, you're doing it. You're doing it now. You did it before. And that's, you know, all that kind of Q puzzling. I love the little scene of him asking 10 questions of Q and equally being very concerned about what's happening, but being very frustrated with Q being so literal about the concept of what's a question and where he forfeits stuff. I, 
the the Patrick Stewart John Delancey um, uh, rapport is so good by this point that even when Q is being menacing, there is that kind of component. So I mean, Picard tells everyone kind of what's going on, data. But Picard also is like, it seems like the traveling through time, which Q admits to is his doing, not the continuum's final test of them, is his is his way of helping them. And Data has a very funny line that that makes sense because Q has always viewed you the way a master would his beloved pet, which is a very good Data line. Data's got a lot, like Data's got so many good moments. My favorite part about this is that so Picard essentially keeps taking Data's ideas. And then telling them to another time period version of to data. Yes. And data's continued in being just impressed with Picard's ideas that are just his own ideas from another timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a runner that keeps happening and is very funny in the way that Picard is just like, yes, yes, yes. He's like, wow, that is amazing. I had no idea that you were so well versed. Like, <laughs> just seeing data consistently impressed by himself is very, like, at the end of the day, is very, is very good. Um, yeah, and also, this is a, this yeah. is an acting challenge for, obviously, for Patrick Stewart. Um, yeah. But so many episodes are, and he's the one yeah. that, like, Ultimately, like he he's the person that has like the most accolades and got the most amount of, of gas um mm-hmm. off this this show. <clears throat> um I will say Brent Spiner as Data is doing some really yeah. amazing work yeah. here. Yeah. Because he has to play three eras of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riker is largely the same. They do a very cute trick that I wish that more shows would pull when they need to do a legacy version of someone. Yeah. They just use old footage and then have voiceover and just use a little bit of editing tricks. Yeah. And keep the scene short enough that the little trick. Yeah. It's nice it. to see baby faced Riker again. Right. Like, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's hot. He's hot as hell. He's hot. He's hot in his young era. He's hot in his, in his uh, you know. In his da- daddy era. As yes. I believe it's called. In his daddy era, which uh-huh. uh, continues to this day. Um, yeah. But he, uh, yeah, I, I think that Riker doesn't get to show off very much. Troy gets a or a Marina Sirtis gets to um, show off a little bit. But like really Data is the one who gets to be like, yeah. I'm playing three eras of the character. And when you're yeah. like character is gradually changing over time, the way that like um, uh, uh, um, Kirk's, Kirk changed as a character over time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he didn't have to like do a movie where he played young Kirk and old Kirk and then some moderation of the in-between like yeah um like a TOS um motion picture and generations right three different characters basically yeah um but there was no in generations he didn't have to go play two other versions of the character for data he had to yeah, and it's it's really subtle too the way they do that. He Brett Spiner, I one of the things about this rewatch is how impressed I've been with him. Like I always had an affection for him both after Star Trek and during, but like the kind of things that he does does to give like these character moments to an android while still like not winking at the screen or not trying to like um still play emotions. Many times like I think if you watch the original series, Spock is technically without emotion, but like there's too many scenes where he's like, I have to, I'm seeming angry and then I will say I'm not angry because that works better for the scene. And like Data has a really good, Brett Spiner as his character Data has really good in character integrity where he 
lets him experience things from a non-emotional prism. And one of the things I like that they do, which is a little bit of probably bet hedging too, is they definitely seem data seem uh, they they make data in the future seem more human than he was before, but they don't like tip their hat to like what that means for this character. Like, does he have emotions? Has he done you know what is that journey taken on taken is him this, on? And he still is this a compromise for him? Has he yeah. abandoned some sense of obje- objectivity for a um sort of uh, uh the um higher education sort of hoity-toity version of respectability like has he traded like yeah. respect like respectability for has he did he consider his human journey over basically well and but it's still they they still are able to figure out like data not quite getting what it means to be human with like the hair dye thing where he's dyed half of his head green or it's gray to give him a distinguished professor look and everyone is kind of like that's you're being stupid or like his his house cleaner says you look like a skunk mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like which is that thing of like oh i've seen again not quite connecting to humanity but like recognizing some of the emotions i've seen uh professors that are that are considered distinguished and erudite and smart have gray hair so i am but i'm not capable of having my hair turn gray naturally because i'm my hair does not age uh so i'm going to dye my hair gray but i'm going to do like a touch of it in a weird way which is a very good data character moment so uh getting back to the second half's plot data suggests as we noted that in the present that they do a tachyon beam as a way to scan the interior of the anomaly because they don't know anything about it um he then also tells the data in the past to do the same thing. And by the time they get to the Devron system in the future, there's no anomaly, as we said. Um, they've also recruited Worf to have safe passage through. Um, there's a great scene of, of Worf. Uh, Worf gets a lot of good comedic moments. Again, I think they're very late figuring out the character well in season seven. Um, but of like, I love Picard going saying, oh, an honorable person would help us get across to the neutral zone. And Worf's being like, you, for so many years, you threw honor in my face to get get me what you want. I love the line of Picard being like, because it always works, Worf. Your problem is you actually do have a sense of honor. Don't be mad at me that I know you so well. It's such a great summation of their like relationship, especially through the Klingon Civil War stuff and all those sort of things. But anyways. And in that moment, you really see the differences in Picard because Picard in his old age has lost a lot of his tact. Yeah. And he's kind of a he's kind of a messy bee who lives for drama. Yeah, um, he is. He kind of does. He argues care. with with Beverly on his her own bridge about whether to leave later on, and like, and until finally she's like, "You would never have tolerated that. What are you doing?" And he's like, "Okay, yeah, I should go get some rest." <laughs> like, yeah, he's not he's not so irrational that he's not yeah. no longer empathetic, right? Yeah, but he has in his old age become kind of a grumpy old dick. Like, yeah, yeah. In some ways, in some ways, uh, he in his old age he has lost some ability to deal with stress in a tactful yeah. sort of controlled way that you you recognize as Picard. Instead, he gets flustered really quickly and just starts yelling, um, yeah. Yeah. which doesn't happen to everybody. I'm not gonna be ageist, but it does happen to most of us. And yeah, at some point, you, you're. At some but point that's you the thing is, like, like, he no longer he no longer has to navigate those tra- types of relationships. He needs one thing from them, and he's going to use everything. It's a different way to view him, right? Like, 
he doesn't do that next generation because he has to like he can't like push Worf's all of Worf's button to get him to do what he wants because they got to work together the next day, right? Like you know, uh, even if he gets what he wants, he may hurt the relationship. And obviously, this is a this is a very different scenario. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I really like the way that that Patrick Stewart plays him as kind of this like yeah this this older man with the knowledge of, and the immediate knowledge of the younger man, but is still like. One of the things that I think is a mild criticism of past Patrick Stewart is past Patrick Stewart or past Picard feels like present day John Luke Picard has been transported to his body in the past. Like it doesn't feel like he is seven years ago Picard living with these memories of these other time zones. He just feels like present day Picard is in the past. It's like a possession narrative almost. Yeah. Like, uh, Whereas, uh, what's the uh, quantum leap? Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. Whereas Patrick Stewart does a fantastic job of making future Picard feel like future, like a different character who has the memories of these other two errors. And I get yeah. the distinction between past and present. Picard is much narrower, so it's harder to play within that. He just looks confused, and also he doesn't have anyone to confide in, which is kind of one of the the challenges of of kind of getting to know him as a character. But I I think that kind of like making you feel like future Picard and present Picard are different people is is really well done. So, anyways, yeah, um, as an acting as, as an acting challenge, it's it's very impressive. The yeah. the friction that it gives you. Is like intentional. It's intentional friction. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, he is way more impatient. Yeah, this isn't age. quite the Picard we know. And at this, and he went through a version of life that maybe the Picard yeah. that we do know won't. Yeah, maybe he won't ever marry Crusher, uh, Beverly Crusher. Maybe they'll have a successful marriage. Maybe um, he yeah. won't end up at the vineyard. Maybe he'll end up, you know, staying in that ambassador role forever. Yeah. We don't even know at the end, really, if he is still going to get that genetic disease. Well, he, well, we don't think he does because he doesn't have the genetic triggers in the when because they they note that as like a postscript before he goes into the poker game because Beverly yes, Crusher scans yes, yes. him and says, "I have no traces of ever having the genetic components to develop aromatic syndrome." So um, it seems like he won't. And it seems like a lot of that stuff's going to not end up happening. Um, and also but, while I'm there, um, yeah. we're, we're talking about this as sort of an allegory for Alzheimer's, an allegory for getting older, an allegory for losing your step. Um, and yeah. people, you're no longer the, the person that cares for people. You're the person that's being cared for. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's we've talked about this on previous episodes, and I think we covered pretty well, like... Um, yeah. The episode – there was a previous episode we talked about with um, – Relics. With Relics, yes. Or or Sarek has a good – Yes, yeah, Sarek. That Sarek's the one we, we talked yeah. about. Um, we talked about uh, my wife's uh, uh, grandmother yeah. kind of uh, going through yeah. de- dementia era stuff. And uh, so we talked about that a lot recently. But I do want to just touch on that like this is a thing that can be generalized. And I like when sci-fi concepts turn it into a general thing because like yeah. – there is a point, no matter how competent you are and how great your memory is, that we turn into, as we get older, we turn into people that require a little bit more help than we can give out, right? We're a little bit yeah. more dependent than we are independent. And that sucks, but that's 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 why we don't leave old people in the woods anymore. 
Um, it's because now we're supposed to care for them, um, and we're supposed to care for each other. Um, because yeah. that's the whole point of forming stationary societies that have fucking Medicare. Um, well, and part, part of that, like, part of the contrast that works so well with that point specifically is you have Picard in the present who is confiding in all the same people, right? He's talking to Beverly Crusher. He's talking to Data. He's talking to Riker. And they all are like, oh, this is for sure happening. They run tests to get some confirmation. They are working with him and assuming that everything he's saying is accurate and trying to figure it out. Those same people 25 years later are skeptical of him. And they're not skeptical of him because they don't trust Pat Jean-Luc Picard. They're skeptical of him because they've decided that even though he claims that the disease is not impacting his memories or stuff like that, like it's it's kind of like he's had his integrity and his character and his reliability taken from him through everyone else's perception because of an outside force, a disease that's impacting him. So everyone takes him less seriously throughout those, even though 25 years ago, everyone is taking him at his word and, like, assuming that he's – and also, like, I think you could say, like, if Jordy was in this – in the future timeline was saying, I'm going through this time rift, whether it's Riker, whether it's Crusher, whether it's Data, would have a lot more um, uh, uh, belief in what's going on. But because he has aromatic syndrome, they're like, well, it could be that. And part of the reason why Data is the one who's like, okay, well – Maybe he is telling the truth because like that is because he doesn't have those same prejudices, right, against the idea that he's looking at things very logically. Uh, he's like the Ben Shapiro of his day, looking that facts don't care about your feelings. And he, um, he is looking at the situation and going, all the evidence I have saying that he believes this is happening to him and we have no way to prove that it's not. And some of the things he's saying is very intriguing. So he's looking at it without the prejudice of everyone else. And again, that contrasts well with the 25-year version who's saying all the old, same stuff to all the same people and being believed at face value. Yeah. And, and, and while we're there, I mean, like, the humanism here absolutely shows through in the way that it did in Sarek as an episode um, that it's not discarding Picard for being in this position and his friends are listening to him, but like they are trying to protect him in a, in a broader sense, like hurting his yeah. feelings in the immediate to protect his body in the longer term and protect it, not just protect his body, protect his reputation. Like that's a weird thing about this is he seems to be just calling in old favors is him burning through reputation uh, fuel um, yeah, and everyone refers to, to that. They say, like, if, you know, if John Luke Picard wants to go on one last mission, then let's give him one. Like, and part of the reason we know Jordy is going to see him is that it seems like, like, Jordy almost alludes to, like, he's done going to doctors and that he's, like, entering a, some sort of, like, forced hospice, like, self-inflicted hospice care. Like, I'm not going to get treatment. I'm not going to do any more tests. I'm done. I'm going to live out my life until I die from the syndrome here at my vineyard. And that's one of the reasons I – mean, that's why Jordy goes and sees him at the beginning. You know, he notes that like this might be the – we haven't seen you in a few years and I may not see you again and uh, and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I, I really like the level of dignity that they carry into this. But also, they're like – the crew is kind of reacting differently to this because they're all deciding – 
what sacrifices or risks are worth taking to make an old friend happy before versus their eyes which are which are different yeah yeah and then Riker and yeah the risks are different exactly Riker and Worf are both like fuck you like no this is fucking stupid like like I'm not putting like uh, we have to draw the line somewhere and here's the line like I'm not risking it's not about my career it's about me taking you into the middle of a war zone to die like no. But but they're not like Riker especially is not interested in tact for the person that he used to look up to so much. He's like, you're an idiot. I mean, he basically is one step away from saying you're a dumb old man. You're an idiot. You're being mean to everyone else by causing them to be idiots. Like it's it's the kind of heel turn of Riker is very interesting, like compared to where he I mean, I assume that in Picard he's not an asshole. <laughs> it doesn't and, it doesn't seem Riker right, is canonically like they're saying in this version of the future, yeah. um losing D- Diana Diana is a a blow he never recovers from. He becomes a yep. career man, he loses some of his sense of um risk taking or bravado. He is a yeah. he is he is now a man who's like very stone stone cold, very conservative, very yeah. very different. Than, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like that's the sort of thing that happens to a lot of people as they get older as well. Like yeah. you know, commentary. Like a lot of people become more conservative as they get older. Not everybody. It's not a rule. Um, but uh, some people, when life has treated them poorly, start to make less um, take less risks with their heart. Right. And, yeah, well, he, um, he cut out Worf because he, even though he was never dating Worf, or well, he was never dating Worf, um, actually accurate, he, unfortunately. Yeah, even yeah, I'm sure there's some good slash fiction that covers that ground, but um, he was never dating. Uh, <laughs> what if that never, was a separate? What if that was a novel that William Shatner wrote? It had nothing to do with with Kirk, but it was just like <laughs> Kirk's there watching. Uh, uh, he would he would leave himself out of a novel. I don't, Wait, I don't think no. it would be. I love to watch. I don't think I. I don't think Shatner is capable. Would be capable of writing a Star Trek novel that does not feature Kirk. <laughs> also, did you know that there's a? I was looking up Shatner as an author for something we've been doing in the past month, and I forget the reason. But I there was a Tech War TV show, and did you know that William Shatner plays a character in the Tech War TV show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I remember there being uh, ads or commercials or whatever I, featuring him in. I have, no, um, I have no memory of Tech War. Tech War. And I remember, even though shows I didn't watch, like Andromeda, like Gene Roddenberry's Earth 2, and it's like, he's been dead for five years. What show is this? Some, some, someone found an old napkin? <laughs> what if there's another, whatever. I don't even think it's called Earth 2. It might be called, like, yeah. Earth I 2 remember, was a completely different show, but. I remember um, there being ads for Earth 2. Earth 2 is not the Roddenberry one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Earth 2 is a one-season show with uh, Tim Tim Curry that I quite liked, but I'm sure holds up like a pile of garbage. Anyway, um, so yeah, getting back to the plot of this episode. So uh, they, they're doing this tachyon beam that Data suggests he suggested in the past too, because they've now gone to the Devron system. They've noticed the anomaly is twice the size. It's almost taking up the whole sector. It is really huge. They don't, I don't necessarily think they show the scale, but it's this, it's taking up an entire star system. So it's a big white blob. I know. In front of a 
the blackness of space. It's taking up the whole screen. Yeah, they're like, it's so much bigger in the past. It's like, okay, well, you've told me the the kilometers, so at least that helps. But yeah, anyway, two hundred million versus four hundred million kilometers. It's bigger. Yeah. In, it's bigger in the past, smaller now. In the future, it's not there. But he says, do the tachyon beam in the area. Maybe we can send subspace ripple de- detections. Um, what they find out through some of the preliminary scans of the tachyon being is that uh, this anomaly is made up of anti-time, which is a theoretical concept that exists the same way antimatter does too, in that it's the opposite of matter. Obviously, antimatter, a real thing in our universe, um, but that anti-time works the same way. It, it essentially moves backwards and also would annihilate time if it came into contact, destroying some form. So what the Enterprise crew members who are close to this anomaly are starting to see is like things in their body start to revert. So Alyssa, uh, who's pregnant, um, uh, her baby basically dies because it recedes into nothingness. Jordy's eyesight starts coming back. Um, And some other things are like repairing in the way that like uh, time resetting would occur. Um, they, uh, but there's still nothing in the in the future. Klingons come and attack, and Riker shows up. the The Enterprise now is a third nacelle, and also can cloak, and is like, "I knew you'd never listen to reason, you crazy old man. We're leaving." You know, he gets everyone out, and that's when there's like this scene where they've kind of put hypo sprayed Picard, and you have uh, Crusher. Um, uh, or Picard, I should say. That's very confusing for this episode. Jordy and Riker all talking, and Worf kind of on his own intent forward, and noting that, yeah, things haven't been the same since Deanna died, never forgiven Worf, never talked to him since the funeral, and that really was an impactful moment, and kind of the recognition that maybe it's time to bury some of those, those hatchets, which Riker kind of does. He's like, we could use some help. Picard... Uh, then gets taken back to the beginning of life on Earth four billion years ago on the planet Earth. And Q is like, hey, look, the anomaly's here. It's huge. It's taking up this entire part of the galaxy. And also, hey, here's when life is about to form on your planet. And guess what? It essentially doesn't happen. And what you find is that this anti-time anomaly keeps growing and growing and is taking up time. And since it's moving backwards in time, is has got to the point where assume on Earth and likely other planets in the you know the 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 galaxy has essentially destroyed stopped life from ever occurring, which is what Q was noting of like um Q Q was noting meant by like they would be denied existence. Humanity and some other races would be denied existence by Picard. As the scan continues, in the present data notes that they see the signature of three identical tachyon beams converging in the center. And that's when Picard it convinces Riker to please rescan the Devron system in the future. And yep, they find a tiny version or a smaller version of the anomaly that's just formed in the Devron system like six hours ago. And that's when Picard kind of puts together the paradox of what's going on here, which is that he did start the anomaly by sending this attackion burst in the same point from the same ship's over three different time periods and that created a rupture of anti-time which grows and consumes time as it moves 
uh, backwards in the past. And in typical Star Trek fashion, they say maybe we can collapse it by, you know, creating a static warp bubble and basically Revan going inside the anomaly and Revan our engines really hard, uh, which they do. And you see the Enterprises slowly destroy, get destroyed. Um, a good cue line of going like two down, one to go. It's been fun, John Luke, but all good things must come to an end, which is a great. That's the title of the show moment. Um, oh, and it's also fun because I don't had they shown him at all and on the the on the um, no deck no no, and he's kind of like an um, the, the this has another he's moment. In, he's that in is, uh, his the command the red red shirt basically. I don't know how many pips he has, but he's in yeah. red shirt. Yeah, he, he's a captain. He always at least gives himself the, the, the captain. Uh, this also, just a really quick point. Uh, at one point in the trial, Q says we're going to end humanity's trek through the star. And that's the first time in the history of Star Trek that the word trek was ever used. The only person a, who gets is allowed to do that is Q. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's the same reason good. he's only one allowed to say the name of the episode. Yeah. Uh, but interesting to note that after all these times, it's the first time anyone said trek anywhere um but um also anyways if people say the name in the episode i'm sure people say sarek in the name <laughs> yeah they they do say it in sarek yeah i, I the whole and time i was watching i missed everything they were saying because i just kept going titular line titular line titular line yeah. titular line titular line no one ever says this really is the best of both worlds and the best <laughs> of both worlds um so the uh so, yeah, so it, it cuts to everything explodes, everything goes to white, and we cut to the very beginning of the episode with Picard running out and asking what today's date is, but then smiling when he realizes that he's back. He's back before all this stuff happened. And it has, like, the Captain's Log moment of him, like, I had Beverly Picard – or I had Beverly um, Crusher scan me. There's no trace of aromatic syndrome. No one seems to remember everything. There's no anomaly in the Devron system. And he has one kind of little moment uh, with Q before that, too, where he where Q's like, yeah, you know, I got you into this. So I was happy to help get you out. You did it. You saved humanity. And, you know, Picard's happy about it. And Q's like, but it never ends. Like, you know, again, in that kind of like Q being in a position from a meta character perspective to kind of give a lesson like stated, like, you know, you did figure this out. You did expand your limitations and you grew beyond that. And that is the real reason why you should be out here, not trying to catalog new planets or meet new species, but to grow yourselves as as people, which I also think is like, you know, this is a little bit my own metatextual interpretation of that. I also think it speaks to something we've been talking about a lot, which is that Star Trek at its best endeavors to be better than the humanity that is writing it at the time. So, yes, is the Star Trek of the 60s progressive in its – even in its best incarnations for what we would consider progressive in 2023? No. But was it sometimes at the forefront of, like, popular culture when it comes to expressing some level of progressive values in the 60s? Yes. I think you could say the same thing for Star Trek Next Generation. And, like, Star Trek at its best version is always trying to – show a better version of humanity that could exist. That was kind of Roddenberry's vision and a few other things. And so this is kind of calling that out, I think, explicitly, which is a fun way to end the series. Like, 
you still can grow as people and that is ultimately the motion what's going to end up defining you uh so i like that as a little moral of star trek the next generation said very explicitly um picard says never stops right nobody reaches the end of um the end of their growth and actually i mean that's so relevant to today right like how many like how many times have we said like, oh, we used to look up to Bill Maher or Matt Groening or this, and then you realize like they hit the end of their growth at some point, you know, or they might not be the best examples, but there's a lot of like people that I think you and I have talked about that we saw as like, oh, these are cool liberal progressives that like we align our political values to and we've seen ourselves grow beyond them while they're like, hold on, why can't I say the R word? <laughs> This is this is free. It's a free speech issue yeah. now. Who's the biggest censors or something like that? And like, you know that that is an important part of that. I think a lot of people miss is that like you always have room to grow, and society has always room to grow. And there will be things today that you think you are doing fine that someone's going to go that sucks. And we we didn't have a voice ten years ago to tell you it sucks, but it sucks. And if you're not open to you know, looking at that stuff, Sean and I always joke about like, you know, at some point Maya is going to come home from school and be like, you know, uh, sorry, we don't use the, we don't say the the word green anymore because of this. And like how important it will be to fight that urge that I think affected our parents and so many like people of our parents' age group that were like, that is stupid. I've always used the word green. I'm not going to stop. You guys are too like how important it is to not meet those new ideas with like this is stupid because I didn't do it and stuff like that. And like, you know, this is this is that. Like it's why so many people are like like when people are mad about um woke track which has happened a lot with discovery in this era i've been like has anyone watched star trek ever that is complaining about trek going woke or whatever like in a as a pejorative term like trek has always been about being more accepting and bettering yourself and not being resistant to that growth yeah no it's just that the nazis have tried to have moved oh yeah conversation so far to the right that stuff from the 60s yeah. would actually be fairly uh fairly offensive yeah. to them um because they're the most easily bothered people on the planet um yeah, no yeah i mean like the fact that there was a interracial kiss on star trek in the 60s if you the fact that like that's just sort of like a day in day out thing now just bothers yeah. them they were yeah. like it, it was, should be a big deal when it was settled history they were like yeah. okay that's 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 fine that you know that's that's the way that you know yeah, we needed to happened. push the culture forward but when it's when the cultural battle is happening in front of their eyes they say you know we've already we've already gone far enough for you people um, what what more do you want yeah more kissing unacceptable unless it makes me horny um yeah so they get to the end, Picard, they're having the a poker game with a bunch of people who have no memory of the episode. The rest of the senior staff is in there. And they're saying, like, um, um, why did Picard tell us all those things about what happens to us in the future, about how we all end up sucking? And, <laughs> and, and everyone's like, sure seems to run counter to everything we've ever learned about not telling the future. And Data is kind of like, well, actually, that doesn't seem to apply in this case. We already know that the future that he experienced unfolds differently. And so maybe 
he's letting us know that like this is not forever unless we take steps to you know maintain relationships and everything else and Worf and Riker give themselves a knowing look because in earlier in the um, episode Riker had was frustrated that Troy was getting dinner with Worf when he had offered it and you know you get the sense that like that version to these people is not going to end up happening and in a great scene you know you've seen some of the poker games Peter uh, you definitely haven't seen all the poker games, which is a very common way for the senior staffs to kind of talk about things or digest an episode or stuff like that. It was a, you know, probably featured in like 30, 40 episodes. Picard was never there. And there's a buzz at the door and there's Picard standing there almost like sheepishly asking uh, asking them if they can – if he can play. And everyone looks surprised and excited and they – he sits down and they say, you can be the dealer. And he has this great, like, Patrick Stewart acting moment of kind of looking at all of them with, like, this dad, like, I'm so proud of you look and just realizing I should have done this a lot longer. I should have joined these games a lot longer. I should have, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and everyone going, you were always welcome. And him dealing the cards and saying, you know, five card stud, nothing wild, sky's the limit, pans out, Enterprise goes to war. Like, a, just a fucking great ending. Like it's so good. I love it, it. Yeah, yeah. Um I I really I really enjoyed the ending. Um though it's it's just weird for me because like I I'm desirous of Picard because I like want the modern television to give me <laughs> yeah. that that thing that I really need, which is like <clears throat> I wanna see these people having having um Completed their mission, passing the torch, and settling into um, into what their legacy is, and getting to enjoy that like little bit of retirement, and then saying goodbye. That all good things must come to an end, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, this isn't as they know they own, will as a closure episode within the context of like it, it needs to be a plotty adventure. Um, all right, we'll give you sort of a double. You can't episode. kill everyone because there's a movie coming out. In six yeah, months. that's yeah. that's the other, that's the other interesting thing is they do kill a lot of people in it, but it doesn't stick well, yeah. because of the particular timey wimey game they're playing. Yeah, um, these are all like instances of time that'll be wiped out. Um, yeah. I I find all of this within the the confines very um, satisfying. Um, I find it very remarkable, but like. I think this is an episode maybe where I don't close out. I think this is an episode where I ask you to kind of close us out. Like, how yeah. this, how did you feel when yeah, you I saw mean, this I, back in the day? Like, did you did you feel like well, maybe like maybe you, were you hungry for the movies? Like, were, were, did you? I, I was definitely hungry for the movie. I love the idea of Shatner. So. I mean, it's, you know, if you look back on my journey, I saw the animated show first. It was on syndication on Nickelodeon when I was three or four. I used to watch it every, whenever it was on Saturday morning or whatever. Um, and I saw, I think even before I saw a Next Generation episode or, or around the same time, first Star Trek thing, like I very clear, I would occasionally, they had the Sunday reruns of Star Trek and I saw, but the very like clear memory I have of seeing Star Trek six in theaters. My dad wanted to go. He took me. I was like seven or eight years old. And there was some time after that that I would start catching Next Generation episodes with him. So it was like around this time, like 
I was really excited for the finale, but I wasn't like, there's still a bunch of season seven episodes I haven't seen. So like my dad didn't catch it every Saturday. Um, we watched some, but he, they did a marathon of the five fan favorite, um, Star Trek episodes that also had this Star Trek Journey's End hosted by Jonathan Franks, this like documentary at like prepping for the finale and get everyone excited. It was a big event. Um, and part of the, the the top two rated episodes were Best of Both Worlds and there was a few other ones. So I was like – I was getting really excited about the finale um, even though – and I liked Star Trek. But I do what, – what's funny is that it's actually all good things that really jump-started my obsession with Star Trek. They had all good things. I loved it as an episode. I'd only seen probably a smattering of episodes, The Best of Both Worlds, and a few other ones. And it was after that is when they started airing Star Trek daily uh, on one of the, like, ABCs. And so, like, so every night they would have the episode. And that's – it's all good things. And then getting excited about the movie that was coming out in November is what, like, took me from – I like Star Trek too. I'm going to try to watch all every episode I can and reading books and like – so in some ways like what's funny is that All Good Things was almost my entry point to be a Star Trek obsessive um, as opposed to a finality for me because I still had most of the episodes to go back and, and watch and, and in an era that it was hard to do that when they started airing it daily in syndication at a time that I could afford – and knew how to operate the VCR and record it and look up, you know, the TV guide of when it was going to happen, it actually became somewhat doable for me to do that. And so, um, you know, watching it again now, it's been a while since I've seen it. I, you know, I like it's, it, it has an incredible nostalgia impact for me. Like this, this is probably that why I probably sometimes call it one of my favorite episodes is also like, this is the episode that kind of like boosted me from, Again, Trek novice to, to eventual Trek obsessive. Uh, and and this is also the first episode that I had recorded because my dad recorded it for us to watch it, right? He didn't we he didn't we didn't watch it when it aired. We recorded it, we watched it probably the next day or something like that. And so like I kept that tape and didn't let him tape over it like he did with other stuff. So, you know, there's definitely a chance that this is the episode I've also watched the most because I was watching it over and over and over as I started recording the other episodes. So it's really hard for me to like disconnect this just from a love of Trek in general. But I mean, I get choked up at the ending scene, like legitimately like tears falling. It happened this time too. Cause now, you know, 30 years later watching it and just being like, Oh my God, like, you know, I have that sense of time and place and a door opening to something that has been a lifelong love. And it's all like predicated by this wonderfully, like fantastic sci-fi episode along with like these, character moments that only that didn't resonate me with me as much as an 11 year old watching this but as i've grown older and watched this episode it's hard not to have these like recognition that things are going to get old you're going to grow older and things are going to change and how important those relationships like all the sort of things like it's something that like i don't think you are capable of processing as an 11 year old with limited star trek next generation experience but as an almost 40 year old yeah like it's a fucking gut punch to watch you know that so i love this episode um i was very excited to close out with it um i'm you know a little little bummed that we're taking a break from some of the better star trek episodes but i am i mean i'm still kind of star trek hungry 
I'm even thinking, like, could I get through the rest of Voyager before we do Picard? Because I know Seven of Nine, who's a Voyager character, is a, is a main character on Picard. It's like, I, that I can fill in the Peter gap so he doesn't have to watch it. So, yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I'm, I'm... I wanted you to close this out because this yeah. is... Um, I wanted you to share how you felt watching this because I yeah. feel like that's kind of us coming full circle yeah. here because this is not <clears throat> this is not just about like my journey it's also about like you coming coming around having a reflection on the past on how this affected yeah. you as a person and and your interests and um uh you know what your childhood was like but in the same breath like where you are now um yeah. and what what lands is kind of silly and what still hits. And, and I'm, I'm really almost jealous. I think <clears throat> that you got to have this like fully enriched, like, um, like deep seated emotional attachment. Because when I have those, those moments, it, it's a, it's a beautiful yeah. deep cry. It doesn't happen very often, but like every so often you, you get one of these um, pulling your nostalgia is, is not yeah. this cheap, ugly kind of um manipulated experience every so often yeah. pulling at your own nostalgia actually yields what 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 it should which is that you mm-hmm. engaged with a work at a specific age you engaged with it maybe a couple points in between and now you're a man with a wife and a house and three kids mm-hmm. and like you're just a different person than you were when you first watched it and yeah. like inevitably inevitably the it's not just that you've changed it's that it's changed because it's yeah it's it's uh it, it, it's uh by being in stasis it is a different thing than it was when you watched it um, yeah and so. it also like it is it it's a rare thing now when like why i'm so interested at some point to go through the card with you is like you know since I watched all this stuff 30 years ago and Picard takes place like 25 or 30, like I'm, I'm living that in real time. I think there's, I forget what, I think we covered some movie where like having the 20 year gap between one and the other, we were saying that like it was extraordinarily impactful, but I think it would be impossible to replicate that unless you watched one of them and then waited 20 years to watch the other. And I I can't think of the specific movie that we were talking about, but I know I felt that like American Pie, which is not a good movie series. But like I remember watching American I, – I was this almost the same age as the American Pie people. So when I got to like American Reunion, which is like them in their 30s and like looking back and <laughs> – and like at high school and how much has changed, it's like fuck. I watched American Pie when I'm in was in high school. And now I'm 30. When this movie's like, it's hard to not feel, even though those are terrible movies, uh, to feel that connection. I felt it when watching like T2 Train Spotting, which is like a movie that like kind of I watched in high school a couple years after the movie came out. It felt like edgy young cinema, like, and it's now it's a bunch of old like sad like it's hard not. Those are movies that like have somehow succeeded in hitting these nostalgia buttons by like I hit them when they came out and then they have these legacy sequels or long sequels that just align with like my own aging, which I don't I don't feel like you got until this like I'm in a weird generation where that's like I feel like that's the first time this is happening where like stuff that was relevant when I was young is now like coming back with with movies or TV shows that reflect on aging through an actual prism of X amount of years. Um, 
you know the bef- the before movies can be like that too, mm-hmm. uh, even though, uh, you know, as a, as, a, but I but I didn't I, see I it before. I actually was kind of happy when I watched them recently that I didn't watch them when I was twenty. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm watching them now. At least, at, at least at the age um, of the second one. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see Bacard. I, I, you know, that's uh, everything I've heard about. Like the downside of it is that it's very much like it's it's not moving TV forward or backwards. It's taking the Picard, right? You know, the Star Trek Next Generation characters and moving them into like a streaming type canon, darker look at what things are going on. I've heard that's a criticism, but then I've also heard like no Murray who like loved the first two seasons. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what my perspective being a lifelong Trek fan is. If I feel like, you know, where I fall on the spectrum of, Oh, this is a great continuation of these characters or I, I it's actually one that I could see us being a little more at odds at just because you have a, while you have an affection for Star Trek Next Generation, you've liked it, you probably have less potentially sacred cows that could be frustrating to you. Whereas I probably it's more it's likely more of a minefield for me, even if I try to go in with an open mind, because I may be like, well, that's not something Picard. Would you're do. absolutely yeah. you're stealing the words out of my brain, yeah. which is that uh, if I'm coming in and all I'm expecting is for the characters to be right yeah. and for there to be um, a few exciting plot lines and for it to generally be shot well. Like maybe I'll maybe I'll be happier with it than you will be. Um yeah. because my expectations are that they maintain the characters, they take them forward a little bit, and that um And do and then, a good show. And then they make it they put on a good show. I don't have a particular I don't I don't have a particular model form it needs to follow. Yeah. Yeah, so even though I like, I don't try to go into sh- to things like that because that's ridiculous expectations, and I'm just excited that they're doing it. Sometimes it's hard not to. It's probably why like I get more incensed or have gotten more incensed with things in Nemesis, <laughs> and probably when we do Into Darkness because it's like you know the thing about Worf saying that his ambassadorship didn't wor- work out was like a nothing moment for you, and it's me. It's like this is the biggest f you <laughs> after like just saying never mind about the DS9 finale and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting, or maybe I will. It'll be so fan servicey that I'm hit by all the I know that. Oh my god, they're bringing that back, and you're like, I don't. None of this is making any sense to me. It feels like you need to have read the glossary. To get it. So, it's, it'll be interesting. We'll get there eventually. The next Star Trek thing, Star Trek thing you'll see is us going through the J.J. Abrams movies. We don't know when that's going to be. Could be six months from now. Could be eight years from now. No idea. Star Trek is unpredictable. You're lucky you got four episodes in a row that are released relatively soon after we recorded them. So, you should not be looking a gift horse in the mouth. What we are doing is something I'm very excited about, but not as excited as Peter is. Um... Which is another Lovecraft. Uh, we're doing something in the dirt. We're doing uh, three to four episodes of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities that are explicitly Lovecraft. Although the whole uh, show is great. The, and the whole um, show has almost every single episode almost has at least one moment where they acknowledge that there are like Cthulhu cults and shit. Yeah, yep. Yeah, it's great. I hope they do a season two of that. We're doing Annihilation and we are doing – why am I forgetting the last one? Annihilation. The Empty to... Man. Oh, The Empty Man. We're yeah. Also, I would also like to cover the short that David Pryor made that was sort of a – Oh, yeah. A, 
proof of concept. I believe it's called AM twelve hundred. Um, okay. I would like to I would like to cover that as well. That one is interesting because I completely forgot. I went to go buy it on Blu-ray, and that one does not have a physical media release. Guess what? Bought it on Voodoo, bud. Yeah, it's fucking Honestly. gross, though. Man. I know he's been trying to get it. Uh, yeah, and that gross. went off HBO Max too. Yeah, it sucks. It's, it's uh, so if you have, if if you uh, want to watch Empty Man, just keep in mind that you may have to uh, you may have to you can it, visual, buy it a digital rental. rental. Yeah, digital rental, but, but um. Yeah, uh, we're also uh, Peter and I are going to try to read the Annihilation, the um, Southern uh, Southern Reach trilogy. It is the first book is uh, only one hundred hundred twenty nine pages. Yeah, and then the the whole, next door the whole trilogy all together because um, they now sell it all together. Yeah, five hundred and fifty pages or so. Yeah, doable. We're going to do Annihilation. We don't know the exact order. We're doing something in the dirt next week. Um, Annihilation yeah. last though. <laughs> We're definitely doing Annihilation last, yeah. So, uh, anyways, we'll see you out there. But first, in here, the reaches of the human mind and what terrifies you. Yeah. I'm better than Picard. I don't need a spaceship. I got a spaceship <laughs> in my own mind. Great. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)